Before we go to God's word, let's pray once more. Lord, we need you, and we need you now. We thank you for being with us, and we pray that you would help us as we go to your word to receive it with joy and hope, to believe that it's true because your words are true and because you have not changed, you never change. But to rely on your enduring faithfulness and that you would help us to endure. Use your word right now, O Lord, we pray, to convict us, correct us, to change us so that we will look more like your son, Jesus Christ, as a result. We pray in his name. Amen. The Christian life is often described as a race, or last week, a relay, or even a metaphor for a marathon. And if you've ever run in any marathon, which I have not, I confess, you know that it requires endurance. Shizo Kananuri was a world-class Olympian in the early 1900s. In fact, before the 1912 Olympics, he set a world record at that time for the the speed in which he finished his marathon, which was incredibly fast. He was 20 years old at the time of the 1912 Olympics. He was a shoe-in to be the winner of the Olympics that took place in Stockholm in that year. He had obstacles he had to overcome, like an 18-day journey just to get there through train, through ship, and even on the day of the race, he had to overcome the obstacle of the scorching heat that was beating down on him over and over and over as he ran. And 27 kilometers, which I have no idea what that actually means, by the way, but 27 kilometers into the race, he collapsed, and he had to be taken care of by some local farmers. He didn't finish the race even though he expected to, quickly. Marathon runners, they often talk about hitting a wall when you run. Like there's a wall that you need to overcome and get over or go through it. But that's also kind of like the Christian life as well sometimes, right? Do you feel like you're hitting a wall right now in your faith as you run your race of faith? Like obstacles are abounding or the sun is just beating down against you? Have you grown weary? Have you grown faint? Do you ever wonder at times as you live as a Christian, how can I actually keep going? How can I endure this race? Well, the Apostle Paul wants to encourage his son in the faith, Timothy, of how he can endure in this race. But he wants him to do something that we wouldn't associate with endurance. Paul wants Timothy to first remember in order to endure. If you haven't already, please meet me in the letter of 2 Timothy in your copy of God's Word. It's on page 995 in the Bible provided, which you are welcome to take. If you don't have a copy of God's Word for yourself, we would love for you to have a copy of His Word. 
And in this letter, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Timothy, the young pastor, a timid leader, a Christian that needed encouragement to endure in the race of faith that he was in. And Paul is sending this encouragement to Timothy as he is nearing the end of his own race, as he has death approaching him. And last week we were in chapter 2, the first seven verses. Paul was telling Timothy about what a faithful ministry should look like, one that's dependent on Christ, that reproduces faithfulness and faithful ministers. But he also said a faithful ministry requires suffering and that he should remember his reward throughout. So verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2 are about the what of faithfulness. Verses 8 through 13, as we'll have this morning, is about the how of faithfulness, the how of endurance. In other words, how can any of us endure in the race? Follow along with me as I read. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8. This is God's word. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. For the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If you're taking notes, the main idea for our time together in God's word is the following. In order to endure, we must remember that suffering comes before glory. In order to endure, we must remember that suffering comes before glory. We're going to see that all throughout the passage. We're going to see that specifically in three points. We'll focus on verse 8, first of all, and talk about the suffering and glory of Christ. Then verse 9, the suffering and glory of Paul. And then lastly, our suffering and coming glory in verses 10 through 13. Let's start with point one, the suffering and glory of Christ. Paul starts this section by telling Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. Now, in the Greek, that word remember means to exercise memory, like put what you remember into practice. But doesn't remember seem so tame, right? Like, why isn't he telling him something more to do? Paul was just telling Timothy in the previous section, verses 1 through 7, for example, that he's a good soldier. And as a good soldier, he needs to follow orders, the orders of his commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He needs to show up for duty. He says in verse 5, he needs to be like a disciplined athlete and compete according to the rules. 
In verse 6, he talks about being like a hardworking farmer and that he should receive first from his labor. So picture Timothy reading these words from Paul. You're a soldier, Timothy. You're a disciplined athlete, Timothy. You're a hardworking farmer. Picture him sitting, sitting up. I'm like, okay, Paul, how do I do this? Paul says, remember. It's like, remember? Remember what? Why remember? Well, think about it. Memory is a tough thing, isn't it? For all of us. For example, my family and I, we have... My wife and I, we have four beautiful children. Three of them are up front right here. We have a loud dog named Luna. We love them. We tolerate the dog most days, but we love her too. And they are, as you know, if you have kids, they are a sincere gift from the Lord. Right? And then not, more often than I like to admit, I can be staring at one of my kids who we've Love before they got here, who we've named carefully and call them someone else's name. Just looking at them and call them the dog's name, for example. Maybe my house sounds like your house. But think about birthdays. Think about events. Think about anniversaries. Think about homework assignments or kids cleaning your room. Some things are just hard to remember. Kids and teens, do you ever, even at your ages right now, walk into a room, stop, look around, and completely forgot what you intended before you got there? Like you just get to the room and you stop, like what just happened? Unfortunately, that gets worse as you get older. It doesn't get better. We should all know then that even the best memories that we have, they're often lapses in our memory at times. We forget things, maybe not entirely, but momentarily. Our minds are preoccupied with many different things, or our minds are just overstimulated by many different things. So we can't really rely on our memories all the time, can we? And isn't that all the more true spiritually? We might know the gospel. We can recite it from start to finish. We might have even memorized sections of God's word um, in the past or currently trying to do that. We might know beautiful words for hymns by heart. And yet at times, don't we forget God's faithfulness or his goodness or his promises or his love or the fact that he's coming back for us? We don't forget as if we never knew it before, but it's like lapses of, lapses of memory, like walking into a room and looking around and forgetting why you got there. So we need to jog our memory often so that we can remember God's faithfulness and his love for us. And God knows that this is true about us. He knows that we are prone to wander And we are prone to forget his goodness. So God would tell his people, the people of Israel, for example, to have celebrations or to have feasts so that they can remember 
just what he's done for them, like in the Passover, or to set up memorial stones so that they could see it and then remember what the Lord had done for them. He even gave them his law written down for them so that they would remember. But if you know your Bibles well enough, you know that they often forgot. And as one author says about the people of Israel, the epitaph over their grave would read, they soon forgot. They forgot the Lord's faithfulness. We're forgetful people, and the Lord knows that. He knows our frame. And Paul knows that Timothy, even though he was a sincere Christian, was prone to forgetfulness as well. Even though he was entrusted with the gospel, even though he was a pastor, he was prone to forgetfulness as well. And that he needed to remember, to remember. Remember, Paul says, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So Paul here is specific about what we need to remember. Remember Jesus Christ, that he's risen, and that he's the offspring of David. So Paul is telling Timothy here to remember that Jesus Christ is both Savior and King. That's those two categories. He's risen, and he's the offspring of David. But if the Christ Jesus is risen, then that means he had to die. Right? And he did. And that points to the sufferings of Christ. So in saying, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, Paul is saying to Timothy, remember Christ's suffering and his glory. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this world, the sinless, righteous son of God, to die for our sins on the cross. And though we were made for him, by him, on purpose, and with the purpose of honoring and glorifying him, we've all rebelled from him in our sin, in our desires, in our deeds, in our words, in our thoughts. Our sins deserve the wrath of God. But that's exactly why the Savior came. He laid aside his glory to take on our sin, our shame, and even our suffering. He laid down, as one hymn writer writes, he laid aside his crown for our souls. And he went to the cross. And Jesus was a man of sorrow. On earth, he had no majesty about him. He was tempted and tried just like we are. And he died on the cross, a slow and hard and painful and public and embarrassing, humiliating death. And he was forsaken by the Father on the cross so that we who put our faith in him could be embraced by a loving Father. And Jesus was crucified. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then he rose victoriously from the grave. Jesus Christ is our Savior. But Paul's telling Timothy, Jesus Christ is also the King. He's the risen king. And that's why he says he's the offspring of David. 
So you might even remember from a few weeks ago when we went through Matthew chapter 1, uh, talking about the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ and then the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying that Jesus was born into the lineage of David. Why would that be important to note? Because someone would come to sit on the throne, David's throne, and rule and reign forever and ever and ever, and it wasn't Solomon. It wasn't anybody else. It was only one person who could fulfill that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where he is right now. Born into this world, born into a body, born into our mess. But Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross. And now he is ruling and reigning, and that points to his glory. Jesus suffered for us, but he is now and forever glorified. So Paul tells Timothy here to remember that Jesus Christ is the risen king. Remember his divinity. Remember his humanity. Remember his suffering and remember his current glory. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, like the rest of us, you will experience trials and trouble in this life. It's guaranteed. But your biggest problem right now is not the circumstances that you're facing. It's the God that you're facing apart from his son, Jesus Christ, covering you with his righteousness. Let me encourage you, friends. Jesus has already done the hard part. He's already willing and able to save. And if you confess your sins and put your faith in him, he will cover you in his goodness, in his righteousness. He will save you. He will forgive you of your sins. And you can be welcomed into God's family. And that can happen even today. We encourage you to think and consider that. We can encourage you to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done because he's done it for sinners like us and sinners like you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is our Savior, amen, and our King, amen. The suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Lord over all things. And Paul's point in telling this to Timothy is that you need to remember that in order to endure your suffering. So we need to remember there's no crown without the cross. That was true of Jesus. That would be true of us. That's the message of the gospel. And Paul owns it. That's why he calls it my gospel at the end of verse 8. He's saying that this is not just something that I know. This is something that I live by. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, his suffering and his glory. So what do we do with that? We need to remember. That's the application. Remember Jesus' suffering and coming or in current glory. Some time ago, I think it was last year, I asked our son, Alan, about school and how he was doing in kindergarten a few weeks after school had started. And like, how, how's school and what did you do today? And his response, we did the same thing we did yesterday. Just like the same day before that. Every day is the same thing. And I thought, man, this boy has a lot more school ahead of him. But he's right. It's the same thing over and over and over again. Kids and teens, don't you realize that when you come to church? 
that you can almost write down or look at your watch, depending on who's preaching, and predict at the moment what's going to happen next. There are no surprises. What are we doing this week? The same thing we did last week, basically. The same way before that. The same thing we're planning to do next week, Lord willing. Right? Over and over and over again. Brothers and sisters, don't get bored with the ordinary means of grace. This is what God wants to do in our lives so that we would remember the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says to Timothy, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also says, remember my suffering. And that's point two. The suffering and glory of Paul. Look at verse nine. Paul goes on to say, for which I am suffering, I'm suffering for this gospel message, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul is in Rome. Paul is in prison. Paul is willing to share with anybody who will listen what he is enduring. And that's important for us to remember sometimes when we think about the Apostle Paul. Because sometimes I think we have this view of the Apostle Paul as he was some, as if he was some mythological figure. It was unshaken, unmovable, unwavering. And we could never be like Paul as if he was emotionless. But actually, he says here, he was bound in chains like a criminal. But he didn't do anything but proclaim the gospel. So we can learn even from there, from the Apostle Paul, that it's okay for us to name the suffering that we're enduring. We don't have to fake it and act as if it's not there or it doesn't exist. We can name the injustice that we face. He says, I'm bound like a criminal, but I'm not a criminal. That's not unspiritual to do. God knows. But remember that the end for God's people is not the suffering that they're enduring. It's glory. And Paul is saying that my pain, my suffering, has an aim and an end and a purpose. And the same is true for us if we are in Christ. So he was unjustly imprisoned, and yet his imprisonment had a purpose. He was imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, he says. But notice also that he's not writing, hey, start a petition to get me out of here, Timothy. And there may be a place for that at times. But Paul is entrusting himself to the just judge. And he's falling into his grace. He's saying, I'm bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. While Paul is enchained, he's saying that the word of God is free to roam freely. And that reminds us that God still uses his word in the lives of his people in the midst of their suffering and even in the midst of their persecution, not just when they get to the other side of it, but even through it. And if you follow Jesus for some time, you've probably realized this is kind of the pattern. This is kind of the theme. This is the way. Suffering comes before glory. And then it just happens over and over and over again in various ways. In your life and in the lives of your brothers and sisters around you. In the life of Paul and in the life of faithful saints that have gone before us. But what did Jesus say? In Matthew 5, he said, blessed are you 
When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you for my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they also persecuted the prophets that were before you. Or even in John chapter 16, before his death was coming, Jesus told his followers that this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be put out of the synagogues. You're going to be persecuted. And people who persecute you and even kill you are going to think that they are doing the right things. And as we prayed earlier, that's happening all around the world as we speak for our brothers and sisters in persecuted countries. But remember that even in the midst of suffering and persecution, the gospel is still spreading. Nero couldn't snuff out the spread of the gospel. No dictator currently or in the past could snuff out the spread of the gospel. The Lord uses the suffering of his people to further the spread of his glorious gospel. That's just part of his way. He's not going around it. He goes through it. So while Paul wasn't chained like a criminal, God's word was still on the move, Paul says. And Paul might be referring to reports that he would have heard from other brothers and sisters about the work of the gospel in other places, maybe with other churches that he started. Or maybe he's just alluding to the confident and quiet hope that he has. It's like, I've seen this happen before. I've seen God be faithful to his word. That's what he's going to keep doing even if I don't currently see it. And we can learn from that as well. If you're going through hardships right now, if you feel like you are bearing a cross right now, draw near to the Lord through his word. Go to the Psalms, for example. If you don't know what to pray, find a Psalm and pray that to the Lord. Remember the Gospels or read the Gospels and be reminded of the tender heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the letters or the epistles or even Acts or Hebrews and be reminded of the fact that what you're enduring is not new, but that God intends to use the suffering of his people for his eternal glory. And continue to gather with your brothers and sisters every single Lord's Day and be encouraged that his word is boundless. And he will be continuing to work and move through our suffering. Now, brothers and sisters here, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that suffering is just part of the gig. But sometimes we often forget that, don't we? Suffering has a way of surprising us all anew. It's as if we get to a season in our life and we're like, I'm glad that's over with. And then something else comes and it's like, I thought this was over with. We're surprised by suffering. You ever see those commercials where there's like a new medication that people are trying out and, you know, there's a commercial for it trying to advertise, supposed to help you with any single thing that you have, right? It's like a five-minute commercial. For the first 30 seconds, it talks about the good of the medicine that you should be taking. But then the last four minutes and 30 seconds goes over and over and over again of all the side effects. And there's like a disconnect, isn't there? Because you're hearing about this, these side effects, like there might be vomiting. 
And you could actually die from this. And you see the commercial, and people are laughing, they're dancing, they're celebrating together. And it's like, isn't there a disconnect here? Don't they know what comes with this medicine? Think about it. How can any of us rejoice in Christ while we're facing suffering? How can we laugh or smile or rejoice when we know the truth of our own hearts, of the people around us, of the sin that's in this world? How can we rejoice in Christ when we have an enemy who's after us, even now, when we still have our own sin that we're dealing with? Isn't there a disconnect there? Don't we know what comes with this life? Well, we do know because Jesus did tell us that there would be suffering, but that's not all he said, beloved. He said that glory would also come for his people. He told the disciples about the suffering that they would face so that they could have peace. That's what he says in John chapter 16. And you and I can defy the odds by enduring during suffering, and our lives can look like there's a disconnect between what's happening in our lives and the joy that seems to be present in our lives. Why? Because we are assured that he has given us his peace now with him eternally and that he will make all things new. Through him, we can have peace in the face of any storm or any disaster, or any danger, because he's our help at our time of need. And those testimonies are sitting in this room right now of his goodness and his faithfulness. It doesn't make sense to the world. It looks like there's a disconnect, but keep enduring, because people are watching. Have you realized that? People are watching to see how we endure in the face of trials. Your parent, your children are watching you. If you're older in this church, the children here are watching you too. They are taking notes. They are making understandings. They're connecting some dots. Doesn't mean we need to be perfect or fake for them. But that means that our lives can and by God's grace should be an example of his enduring faithfulness through us as we endure under trials. So Paul doesn't want Timothy to be surprised by his trials. He says that he endures all of his suffering, not just for the sake of the spread of the gospel, but he also said for the sake of God's people in verse 10. That's why he says there in verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation as in Christ Jesus with eternal joy. The, 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 the elect, those who are called and chosen by God, chosen by God for salvation in Christ. Salvation from sin, but also full salvation when we see the Lord face to face. That's who Paul is talking about here. Paul's basically saying, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep enduring, not just for me and my crown, but for their crown, for their endurance, for their eternal Glory and joy. So that means if the word of God is free to roam, that means that Paul's saying, God is free to use my suffering for the good of my brothers and sisters in Christ. For his glory and for their salvation and their eternal good. 
Do you view your suffering in this way? Do you view your brothers and sisters in Christ this way? Again, Paul's not minimizing his suffering. He says, I'm bound like a criminal. He called it out. He says, I'm willing to be used by the Lord for the sake of others. And as we know, our suffering can make us want to clam up and isolate and get by ourselves and away from others. Right? Maybe because we don't know what to do with our emotions or because we rightly understand that people are watching us and we think, I don't want to say or do the wrong thing if I live this out before others. We feel weak. We feel burdened. But may I encourage you, if you're experiencing trials right now, do not suffer in silence. As you suffer, allow others to draw near to you. Allow others to come into that situation. Be willing to endure in the front of other people. Ask for help and strength and encouragement. Allow the Lord to use it in a way that only he could for his glory and for the good of other people. But this should also help us to minister to one another as our brothers and sisters are enduring trials and sufferings. So here's a couple of quick encouragements of how we can help one another to endure suffering. Firstly, we can comfort one another through our presence through our presence. That means just show up. Just be there. Be willing to listen. Be willing to sit. Be willing to cry with them. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. Just show up. And praise the Lord, so many of you already show up for our brothers and sisters in Christ as they experience trials. Sending text messages or encouragements or meals. Praise the Lord for that. Continue to show up. Comfort through your presence. Secondly, comfort through your prayers. As we've seen in this passage, we can pray specifically as our brothers and sisters are enduring trials that God's word would be at work in their lives and through their lives. And we can also pray that they would endure. So our presence and our prayers. Brothers and sisters, if you haven't noticed, the Lord calls us to carry each other's burdens. And it's hard to feel like you are that burden at times. But that's exactly the way the Lord designed it. It's okay to be a burden to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Allow us to carry and share that load with one another. Because that kind of love is only a love that God could create. That's why Paul calls Timothy, not my apprentice. He says, you're my son. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I long and love, You're my joy and my crown. You are surrounded with your joy and your crown right now, brothers and sisters, in this room. You might think, really? That's the way the Lord designed it. In his church, for the glory of one another. Let's not let the suffering of our lives or even discouragements of our lives distort the Lord's view of the church and our view of the church. We're, we are family, and we are called to love one another. So Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, remember my example, and example is the same. Suffering comes before glory. We can learn from that. 
And that can also help us by God's grace to endure. Point three. We need to remember the suffering and glory of Christ. Remember the suffering and glory of Paul here. But lastly, this is about our suffering and our coming glory. Let me read starting in verse 11. Saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And these words are believed to be part of an early hymn of the church, which reminds us of the hymns that we sing as a church. They're clear, they're biblical, they're helpful, and they're hopeful. So one other area of application, one thing that you could do with your bulletins is you could take them home, pick one of the hymns, look at the hymn line by line, and think, where, does that, where is that mirrored in God's word? Where are these hymn writers getting this from? Where can I find that in the Bible? And that will be an encouragement to you in your family devotions or even in your small groups or, or personally. But remember our memory? Don't we forget often like we talked about before? Isn't that why singing and music is such a gift to the Lord? Because that helps us to remember, right? Remember his goodness. Like think about us singing, great is thy faithfulness. Doesn't that seem to just lift the room? It's like, oh yeah. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. That's my life. That's our lives if we are in Christ. That's why we sing, brothers and sisters, to remind each other and ourselves that the Lord is still who he says that he is. And this hymn here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is what Paul is using to help Timothy remember to endure. Remember that suffering comes before glory. Remember that the cross comes before the crown. So let's look at this hymn for the next few minutes. It says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 16. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We are called to give our lives for Christ. That's part of the deal. We are called to be united with Christ in his death. We are being raised to new life. We are called to take upon our cross as we live in this world and follow Jesus every single step. He says if anyone tries to avoid that, if anyone tries to save their life, they actually will lose it in the long run. But whoever's willing to lose their lives for the sake of Christ will find it. And that means endure the sufferings that you face. And for us who have died with Christ, we know that eternally we will live forever and ever. We have nothing and no one to fear. Just as Christ was raised, we will be raised with him. So he says, endure. And in verse 12, it says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And in Matthew chapter 19, it's a story of the rich young ruler, which you might be familiar with. He approached Jesus, and he asked Jesus about what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, keep the commandments. The rich young ruler said, which ones? 
Jesus named some from the second table of the law. Kids in the room, when I say second table, do you know what that means? When Moses received the commandments from the Lord, how many tablets of stone were there? There were two, right? So you have the first four about loving God. You have the last six about loving your neighbor. This man was basically saying, I've loved my neighbor perfectly. And then Jesus tells him to sell off his stuff. Because it wasn't about his stuff. It was about the fact that he was not loving God. First table of the law. He completely broke it. And then Peter's there listening. And he's like, hold on, what's going on here? He's like, I have some follow-up questions, Jesus. And here's what Peter says to Jesus in Matthew 19. He says, see, we have left everything to follow you. What then will we have? Jesus says, truly in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you, have, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That means if you are in Christ, you get in on that. You will receive a hundredfold for everything that you've given up to follow Christ. What will that look like? I have no idea, but it will be glorious, brothers and sisters. The Bible says we will rule and reign with Christ that we will be glorified. But sometimes we fail to live that way. As if we saw the suffering part, but we forgot about the glory part. We forgot that that's part of the deal as well for all of God's people. That glory is awaits, is what awaits the faithful Christian and awaits us all keep our hope in him. Some time ago, I went to the Miami Open, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I was invited by a friend. It was his birthday. So I thought, sure, I'll go. But I've been to these things before. You pay a whole lot of money for not very good food. So I thought, let me save a few dollars and eat before I go. Be a good steward, right? But as I got there, I kept going to these different gates to try to get in. This is what my ticket says. This is where I'm supposed to sit. And each time it was like, oh, you actually need to go this way. Second gate. Oh, why are you over here? You need to go over there. So what I didn't know is that my ticket was exclusive access. And that I had really, really good seats to see the Miami Open and see these amazing tennis athletes. And that, included with my ticket, was all the food I wanted to eat. And like really, really good food from all different sorts of places. And I showed up not knowing that was part of the deal with my ham sandwich that I ate beforehand. Like, all right, I'm ready. I didn't know that that was part of the deal. Brothers and sisters, don't you know that glory is part of the deal? It's part of what you've been given by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of what awaits you. Let's not act as if we don't know what's coming for us. Suffering we endure now, but glory is coming for everyone who remains in Christ. Glory is coming for his people. He's faithful. And let's remember that. 
And that's what Paul is getting at in this final line of this hymn at the end there. He's talking about God's faithfulness, which should be a warning to those who oppose Christ, but should be a warmth to us who are in Christ. He says, if we deny him, he will deny us. We are faithless. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. It's like Jesus says, anybody who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. If anyone denies me, I will deny them. Remember, Paul was around a lot of people who started denying Christ, right? Like Phygelus and Hermogenes, who we talked about in chapter 1, or Demas, who he mentions in chapter 4, who's in love with this present world says they denied Jesus and they will be denied by Christ on the final day. They were faithless, but he will be faithful, which means that he will be faithful to judge. That's what he's going to do. But remember, if we are in Christ, we should not fear those words. We should be encouraged by those words. Those words should remind us that he is indeed faithful and he will reward us who are in him. Why? Because he's faithful and he cannot deny himself. It's just who he is. It's not just an attribute. That's who he is. Our God is faithful. But you might be feeling like, how do I know if I'm going to endure, if I'm going to remain faithful? There are some times where I don't feel that faithful to the Lord. How am I going to make it to the end of this race? Brothers and sisters, remember, we were not called to endure by ourselves. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor in a church. The Lord tells us we should be members of a church. We should gather every Lord's Day so that we can endure, so that we can encourage one another. You are not called to endure by yourself. In fact, you cannot. Rely on the Lord. Rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we do the same thing every single week. That's what the Lord told us to do. So that we can endure in this race that we're in. And remember that since our Lord is so faithful, he's already given us what we need. Like his Holy Spirit. Like his Holy Word. Like the church. Like our brothers and sisters like his promises that he is keeping and he will continue to keep. All of us who are in Christ are being kept by Christ even right now and will be kept by Christ until the very end. That is how we will endure. So take heart because all of God's people will endure and finish the race even if it feels like it's a long trip. Remember Shizo Kanakori from earlier? In the, in the intro, he didn't finish in the 1912 Olympic marathon. He fainted. The sun was beating down against him. And that happened to a lot of other runners in that race. But unlike the other athletes in that race, the other athletes reported the fact that they didn't finish. He never reported it. But he returned to Japan, continued his training, competed in two other Olympic games, and did very well. But... In Stockholm, where he was competing in 1912, he was just known for many, many years as the missing athlete. And after 50 years, the Swedish authorities discovered that this man was still alive and well, 
And in 1967, they invited him back so that he could finish the race that he started. And he did. And it only took him 54 years, eight months, six days, five hours, and 32 minutes to finish his race. Your race, Christian, will look and sound and feel a lot like that. When he was asked about this race and finishing after all these years, he said, in short, it was a long trip. Our race of faith faith is a long trip, but we will endure with God's help until the very end. And as you endure, beloved, remember that while you're enduring suffering, glory is coming. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to remember all that awaits us as we endure the suffering around us. Help us to endure like the Lord Jesus endured, like faithful saints like Paul endured. Help us to be counted with them, O Lord. Give us strength and faith in you to endure the race that we're in. In Jesus' name, amen.